Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich or Miss, episode 241, the most important law of marketing. Hey, my Richers, I'm Hayut, and today I decided to create a bit different episode and talk about the most important law of marketing. There are a few reasons why so many entrepreneurs fail. I believe that lack of marketing is the biggest one. And that's also what entrepreneurs think. According to CB Insight post-mortem research, 42% of the entrepreneurs who failed said the number one reason for their failure was no market need. Finding the market need is, as I see it, the first and most important role of marketing. It always starts there. It's all about where is the biggest market opportunity at the current stage of the company. Any company. Otherwise, you might try to go in the wrong direction. Okay, let's admit it. What would you say if I asked you what is marketing? You would probably tell me it's lead generation, social media, building a brand, or the like. And you're right. Marketing is everything you need to do to get customers and build your brand. In order to succeed in doing so, you need two things. First, you need to understand who your target audience, your potential customers are. And second comes the most important law of marketing, the law of focus. There is an old legend about a farmer that went to the market and bought a golden hoe. This hoe has a power of digging 100 holes in the ground. So the farmer took the hoe and drilled 100 small holes all over his farm. But instead, he could use the golden hoe to dig in one place, and then he would have a deep excavation where he could build a swimming pool or another room to the house and the like. The same is with marketing activities. You can try and do hundred different activities to different audiences with different messages, and you will get zero effect. But you can do a few larger activities for your most potential customers with the correct message and create a most successful company and brand. In our episode today, I chose to focus on three entrepreneurs that chose to focus on one direction and won the game. My first guest is Michael Namuro. Michael Namuro saved the financial future of the family and says, We do one thing quickly. That's our success. It's called Focus. Michael Nemuro 
is the CEO and co-founder of Rush Order Tees, a fast-growing e-commerce custom t-shirt printing and apparel company. Founded in 2002, when Michael was only 17, with his brother and sister, Rush Order Tees specializes in screen printing and embroidering services from everyone, from teams to small businesses to Fortune 500 companies. Over the past 18 years, the company has focused on the customer experience by streamlining the entire process with its innovative design studio, incredible service, and the quickest deliveries in the industry. Michael Namura, hi! What a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me, Hayut. It's so good that you are here. I just shared with our listeners what you've done until now. So tell us, what is the business and how did it start and how did your career start? Tell me a bit about that. Sure. So this is probably my third of maybe third business that I started. And I actually, you know, the business started out of, at least my business career started out of necessity when I was really young because my parents had, you know, a successful business at one time. They were clothing designers and that's actually, you know, how they met. My dad was a clothing designer and you know, my mom was his agent, which means she oversaw the production of the, you know, the product that he would make. So it was once successful. And then over the course of time, they bought out their business partner, started getting into new business lines. And then it started struggling financially because they made some decisions that, you know, caused them to have financial uncertainty. And at the age of probably nine, my mom sat me down and said that, <laughs> you know, we're, the business isn't doing well. And we don't know if you're going to be going to the same school anymore. And the house that we live in is, you know, we're not sure if we're going to live here anymore. So, you know, at that, when that happens, you know, imagine, yeah, that's really tough. So that was, that, that really made me pretty aware of what was going on. I would, you know, I, I started just questioning a lot of things and mainly, you know, how do I make money or how is my family going to be able to get us out of this? And, you know, really looking to my parents, but they just continued to struggle for probably the next decade. And in the meantime, you know, my brother started selling stuff online and on eBay and he was doing anything he could and he was helping in the warehouse, uh, pick and pack orders. I would go in and I would cut down cardboard boxes and help in the warehouse. But what I noticed was like, it was kind of, we were just kind of like working. I I, I knew we weren't going to get anywhere in this business that it was just so big. And I can see that even the employees weren't weren't even they weren't managed well and my dad wasn't a manager he's more of a designer and sales guy and my mom is just more of a doer so the business just kind of tried to manage itself but that's not how that business works Um, so um, we continue to like work and try to help them and then when 13 when I'm 13 my brother comes home with homework and it's to 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 basically retype something and I I retype it for him because he didn't want to do it and I asked him what it was, and he said, "Oh, you just type, you just typed HTML, which is for a website. Hmm. So just save it as .html, and then you'll see what you just did." And I do that, and as soon as I do that, I was like, "This is this is awesome! Like I just made a website. I'm 13, and I can put anything wow. out that I want into the world." And you know, to me, that was amazing that I it could is. do that. And I was, and I'd already been like a computer geek. I'd always been playing computer games, so like I, it was natural for me to just be on the computer. So everything I did then just started was a website. My homework was a website. Like I wouldn't do it in Word. I would do it on <laughs> a website. <It's> <laughs> yeah. So, and it got to the point that, so, so that was like the skill set that I had started developing. 
that eventually turn into me learning how to communicate with webmasters online, trade traffic, and then start getting to affiliate marketing. And in doing affiliate marketing, that was kind of what I saw as our way out because within probably two, three months, I was able to make enough money to pay for the mortgage for the house. Wow. And the number that my mom would always tell me that they needed was $5,000. So after like, yeah, probably after a few months, I said, I gave my mom a check for $5,000. And as soon as I gave her that check, she, well, A, she didn't understand. And B, she started crying. (laughs) So Mm. when she started crying, I was like, wow, this is like really important. And it really means a lot to my mom. So I just kept doing that and learning more and more and more until, you know, I I kept making 5,000. Eventually I was making 15,000 a month. But um, I told my mom at one point, I'm like, I'm not going to, we're not going to pay for the mortgage anymore. We're going to let this house get foreclosed on and we're going to save the money because this is eventually going to go anyway. And we don't need this big of a house to live anyway. So, so that's kind of how I got started. It was really just like the combination of being on the computer, being a fast typer, getting lucky that my brother took the first design course and didn't want to do his homework and gave it to me. And then I turned it into affiliate marketing and, you know, I had a need to to make money because that, that's what we needed to survive. So that, that's where it all started. And then Whoa, it turned into, yeah, so, hmm. and then it turned into my dad was kind of done, uh, t- you know, shutting down his business with my mom and then he wasn't really doing, he was actually, you know, it's, it's pretty upsetting after you've had two decades of, you know, business that you grow that eventually ends up bankrupt. So for him, that was like a big hit. And I guess he was kind of depressed. And then his friend said to him, Hey, Alan, that's my dad's name. You're great at sales. I have a business that. You know, I, I, I do $400,000 in revenue a year. You're a great sales guy. Come on the road with me, door to door. We'll sell to pizza shops and restaurants. I'll show you exactly how it works, where to get the shirts, where to get them printed. And you can be making money this week. And my dad initially just wasn't in the mindset to do it. And then my brother pushed him to do it. And he actually got in the car with them. And then in the first like two days, they sold three different places. I think it was like a car wash and two restaurants making like $1,500. Wow. And... I was like, wow, that's awesome. And I was seven, at this time I'm like 16 or 17. And what I was doing was kind of drying up and they were just getting this new thing started. And I was like, that, that's pretty cool. You made, you made money very, very quickly. So that, that's, it was a combination of all those things coming together. And how did uh, this uh, current business started? So that's the t-shirt business, which is today it's Rush Order Tees. So I took what they were doing door to door. And I said, let me take it online. And being that I was basically good at conversion rate optimization, I launched a website. I launched a marketing campaign on yellowpages.com. Hmm. And I risked, I forget, I think it was like $3,000. And I was like, all right, let's just risk it, see what happens. And the website just said, rush order tees, need t-shirts quick. And there's a blanking phone number. And the problem was, is that we started getting phone calls, but I was very, very introverted. Like I, I never talked to anybody who mm-hmm. I didn't know on the phone. <laughs> so mm-hmm. as soon as that phone starting to ring, like I was so nervous getting those calls. I would actually take the calls outside in the backyard or in a room by myself. But, you know, eventually I got over that. But that that was the entry into taking custom T-shirts online because it was, it was usually a localized business where you would go to a T-shirt shop and you would you would meet with the guy and he would tell you when you get them and you'd work out the design with him. 
So going online was very different. So for it to, to start working almost immediately in terms of getting sales was, you know, it was great to see. Hmm. And where is it today? Is it all the same? I mean, it's not, it's not the same at all. Um, just that, you know, when we started, it was me, my younger sister, and my older brother, and my parents. And today, it's really uh, me operating the business and what was once in our house and our garage that we were getting foreclosed on and we were printing in a small room, which was probably not legal at the time because we had <laughs> heaters and stuff and chemicals. And a five-person business is now, you know, almost a 300-person business operating out of Northeast Philadelphia. We're probably one of the biggest production facilities in the country. And the, the hard thing about our business is everything was custom. Even every solution was custom. Like we had to build software from the ground up, the design studio that everyone that, you know, the majority of our customers design on, where you can design, upload your logo, add text. And, you know, there's even, a, you know, a Hebrew option on there just mm -hmm. to type in Hebrew. Um, <laughs> so all that had to be developed and thought of by us. That was all our brainchild in terms of, you know, figuring out the way to get there. So it's it's a much bigger business and, you know, we focus on delivery and quality first and foremost. So it's very different. Do you like it? <laughs> Do I like it? I love yeah. it. I love it. I love That's where good. we came from. Yeah. That's great. What is your biggest, most critical failure with customers? The one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most or almost the most? So for me, I guess... We're in a business, Rush Order Tees, where customers are coming to us online, maybe because their local guy, I guess even initially when we started the business, their local guy couldn't do it in time because they called too late. Basically, the customer procrastinated or the local company that promised them that they would have the shirts in two weeks called them last minute and said, I can't do it. So Rush Order Tees became uh, the site where you would go if you need something last minute for one of those two reasons. And when we were growing the business, the problem was is that we overpromise. We we would tell too many customers that we be, we would be able to hit their deadline, and we actually didn't know that we weren't able to because we just didn't have enough production capacity. But we were really young. Like I was seventeen at the time, and I thought mm -hmm. I could work around the clock, which I did. Which my sister did. She was basically like she wouldn't go to school, and she mm -hmm. would be crying, being like, "I have oh. homework to do." And it's two in the morning and I'm like, well, we have to print shirts. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> these, you know, this is going to not, you know, we promise these customers. So I guess just like over promising and under delivering is a real, real issue because A, you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to say you could, you could do something you couldn't do. But I, I also think it's a part of growing. So you're never going to get it a hundred percent. So it's better to over promise in the initial phases of the business and make it up to your customers. You know, in an honest way where you're giving them some money back or you're, you're communicating with them. But to, I, I would, I think it's, it's good and bad initially. But today we never overpromise. We, we always underpromise and overdeliver. <laughs> but back then mm -hmm. I think it is good for growth to, to do it that way at, mm -hmm. at a small yeah. scale. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting point of view that, uh, it's not only a bad thing overpromising. I like that. <laughs> and now. I want you to tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something you did right about approaching your customers. So what we did right was like we do one thing, which is custom t-shirts and apparel quickly. 
So mm -hmm. like our concept is fairly simple. We didn't really innovate in terms of the industry itself, like making something new, but we, we brought something to the industry that it didn't have because so we just deliver when you need it. So if you called me today, Hayut, and said, Hey, I need, sh I need 300 shirts tomorrow. Like right now it's 5, 11 PM East coast time. I can mm -hmm. definitely get 300 shirts done by 8 PM when UPS comes tonight because we have capacity to do that. Cause that, that's how the business was designed. Not, not even initially. It was just, it was ultimately designed to allow for, you know, people who need something to get it when they need it. Um, so, so that's what we did well. Um, and we made it simple to understand that that's what we do. Wow. And do you have a specific story or it's yeah. a good story, but do you have any specific story? Uh, that relates to that? Well, the, so we sponsor the 76ers. So, and the 76ers do these things called like where they'll, where they'll dress the whole stadium, every single seat in like blue with, yeah. with a blue t-shirt and they'll call us. And the, the, the stadium has like 26,000 shirts. So um, mm -hmm. one time they called us and I think the game was like on a Wednesday and they wanted 26,000 shirts printed front and back uh, by Wednesday. And they called us on a Monday. Sorry, they called us on Monday. So what that requires is, is an, like, it was unbelievable. I mean, we were running, we ran 24 hours with, I think, six machines. And like eventually we, we got it done, but that is a huge order and it just... But that, that's that's what the business was built on. Like it is just just delivering when someone needs it, even when we kind of don't even want to. Like I definitely didn't want to do that order, but they <laughs> needed it. <laughs> but but that that's we we say yes, we say yes to almost everything. Just and you know the team always you know will always figure it out. My second guest today is Ross Kimbarovsky. Ross said, "We focus really hard on the customer." and the customer experience throughout every touchpoint. Ross founded and is the CEO of CrowdSpring, where since 2008, 220,000 of experienced freelancers help small businesses, entrepreneurs, agencies, and non-profits with high-quality custom logo design, web design, graphic design, product design, and company naming services. Crowdspring has worked with the world's best brands, many of the world's best agencies, and tens of thousands of entrepreneurs and startups. Before founding Crowdspring, Ross practiced law for 13 years as a successful trial attorney. There's a rumor that Ross left his law practice in 2007 to found Crowdspring so that he could wear shorts to work. That rumor is true. Ross Kimbrowski, what a great pleasure to have you here with me. Hi. Hello, Hayud. Happy to be here with you and uh, your listeners. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And I just shared with our listeners what you've done until now. And I would like to ask you, what are you most passionate about today and where are you heading? So today, CrowdSpring is, is focusing really hard on the customer. It actually, I, I've been uh, running this business since I found it for the past 12 years. And wow. uh, it, it didn't really, um, I didn't grok, I didn't understand fully the need to focus on product and make it an overall great experience for customers until about four to five years into the business. As much Ooh. as we all read 
a lot about how important it is to focus on customers and how products need to be well-built and, and the full experience is important, it takes some time operating a business until you really understand why it's important. Hmm. Um, and so the reason companies like Apple have done so phenomenally well outside of design is because they understood it some time ago, and, and we've, we've grown to understand it more and more. So today we're focusing really hard on the customer experience throughout every touch point with our product, from the time we meet the customer to the time we, we finish with them. And, and that includes focusing really hard on improving every aspect of, of our online marketplace uh, for creative services. It makes sure that we have very high quality uh, designers and, and namers in our marketplace, uh, making sure that our product is, is easy to use and, and speaks uh, because we have customers from 100 countries, so we have to be able to speak from a lot of different cultures and uh, people whose native language isn't necessarily English. That's been a really big focus. It's something that I've grown more and more passionate about as I've understood why it's important. Hmm. And uh, can you tell us a bit about the product? Sure. Crowdspring is a global marketplace for services. We, we have, uh, over the past 12 years, over 220,000 designers and namers, helping entrepreneurs, wow. businesses, agencies, and nonprofits with uh, logo design, graphic design, web design, packaging design, even product design, and business names for every stage of their growing business. And the idea was uh, really yeah. people didn't have to pay thousands or tens of thousands of dollars for high quality design. Our pricing starts at $299 for custom logo design. And this was the big differentiator. Unlike traditional marketplaces where you would uh, pick from bids and proposals, on CrowdSpring, mm -hmm. you post your requirements and you pick from actual designs to your specifications. So in a logo project, 100 logo designs for your business, and you pick the one you love. The designer gets paid. You get the intellectual property to that design. It's a unique way for businesses, agencies, nonprofits to buy design services, which is, I think, why we've attracted this global community of clients. So actually, you are making something in between Fiverr on one hand and the traditional designer on the other? So probably in between uh, an agency, which is, will be on the high end, and, and a single designer. Fiverr is in a different um, category altogether. Fiverr, in certain categories, is phenomenally great. I, I've been a customer of Fiverr for, for things like short-form video introductions, for example. But for certain kinds of design... Um, it just doesn't meet the needs of business. And I'll give you a good example. Please. Yes, you, you can get a logo on Fiverr for, for, for $10, $20, but it's not a custom design. It's no. a clip art or stock art or a template-based logo, and that presents several problems. First of all, you cannot trademark it. Second of all, it's going to look like thousands of other logos in the marketplace, which means you can't stand out. CrowdSpring is all custom design work. So it takes the custom design work that agencies may ultimately create for you when they build a brand identity, for example. But instead of paying $10,000 or $25,000 for that work, you're paying $300 or $400, working with talented designers all over the world, in Israel, in, in America, in Malaysia, um, almost every single country in the world. And so it creates an opportunity for a business to stand out for an affordable price in a way that allows them to compete. Because one lesson we've learned, and I think I've learned this as a business owner, and this is something I share with, you know, I talk to thousands of business owners every year, but it's something I share that most business owners underinvest 
in design. Definitely. Uh, and they ultimately try to shortcut and spend very little money. But here's the thing that you know happens. You know this because it happens to every business. When you underinvest in design, it ends up costing you a lot more sure. in the mid to long term than if you made the right investments in the first place. That's right. And a lot of times it will hurt you in the first place. Perhaps you won't get even to the next stage if you won't do it right. Absolutely right. It's, it, very, it, it's very difficult to stand out of the crowd today. And if you won't do the right things, you don't have to invest $10,000 exactly like you said, but you do need to do things that should be done. Exactly. And that's why we created CrowdSpring 12 years ago, because businesses did not have an opportunity to get high-quality designs, but for an affordable budget. Big companies did. Big agencies did. They could spend tens of thousands. But a normal business with one to 10 employees could not spend tens of thousands of dollars on good design. And we wanted to change that, and, and hopefully we're helping to change that. And what enables you to really... Um given affordable offers. So, so part of it is driven by the fact that traditionally agencies had a very complex organizational structure, account managers and, and designers on staff and people who created strategy. These were highly expensive people, all of whom needed to be paid whether you had uh, enough business from clients or not. You also had all sorts of other layers of management and processes and such. And when we looked at this, we took apart the process and said some of this really isn't necessary. It may be necessary if you represent a really big brand as an agency. But if you're working with a small business, they don't need account managers and strategists and other people. They need execution more than anything. They may need a little bit of strategy, but they can't pay you $20,000 for a little bit of strategy. Mm -hmm. So we try to deconstruct the pieces and reassemble it back into a product that allows businesses to hire designers. And so um, the, other, the other insight we had was that people who buy based on portfolios and based on people's education, which is what would be done in a traditional marketplace, if you hire a freelancer, you would normally look at their resume, look at their portfolio, see what they went to school, because you're paying them money anticipating they're going to create good work for you in a few weeks or in a few months, but you really don't know. None of that was relevant in our model because we realized that it really didn't matter where you went to school. It really didn't matter whether you were a professional designer. It didn't matter where you live. What mattered is, were you talented and good at your skill? <laughs> That's the only thing right. that matters on CrowdSpring because you compete right. based on your actual work not pricing. And so the client sets the price, designers submit actual designs, and the client picks their favorites. So whether somebody lives in um, Africa, in China, in, in the United States, in Canada, or in Finland, doesn't matter. If the work is great, doesn't if matter. the client loves it, they pick it. Great. You're an entrepreneur for 12 years already. And I want to ask you, what would be your best advice to any entrepreneur that's listening to us right now regarding approaching your customers and building the business and actually business success? So the thing I've done from the very beginning that, that I did just intuitively, but has turned out to be probably the best thing I have done, which is stay connected with customer support. Your customer support team is on the front lines. Some companies have sales teams, some don't. But almost every company 
that exists today that works with either consumers or other businesses must support those customers, those clients. And ultimately, you will sometimes have dedicated teams who support your clients, and sometimes you'll outsource it. The one thing that I did from the very beginning is, first of all, I, I was the customer support for the first six months of our business, answering every single question, doing every single customer call. I did that for two reasons. Number one, I wanted to understand the pain our customers were feeling working with our product. And I felt that I could not understand unless I felt that pain with them. Number two, uh, and I do this every time I can, before hiring people for a position, I want to do the job myself first. I think it's really important. There are things, obviously, I may not be able to do. I'm not an engineer, so I couldn't code our first site. <laughs> but wherever I can, whether it's marketing or customer support, I try to do the job myself first. So I've continued to do that. I'll continue periodically throughout the week, answer customer tickets, get on the phone with customers, do customer chats. And throughout the year, periodically, I'll give the entire customer support team a day off. And I'll do support, full support, phones, chat, mm -hmm. and our ticketing system. Uh, we use Zendesk. Again, for the exact same reason. I want to feel the customer's pain. I want to understand what they're going through and how I can best help them. I get weekly reports from my team, so it doesn't substitute that. But this is the thing that I've done that I think helps me best understand how customers feel, what we're doing well, what we're doing poorly, and areas we can improve. I love that. I love that. I really think I started myself from service, being a customer service manager, and then I was in marketing. So I really believe it helped me a lot. And uh, I'm sure this is what allowed you to succeed today. It's something that, that we've been really happy doing. And, and uh, I encourage everybody on the team, you know, people that are, that are leading groups to, to do the same thing, to periodically do the jobs that the people that report to them do so they could understand some of the challenges. My third and last guest for today is Dan McGough. Dan McGough's best advice was focus on generating revenue. Sometimes it's much easier to sell and get your customers, not only to raise money. Let's hear his story. Dan McGough is an award-winning entrepreneur, speaker, and the CEO of MacGo.io, an analytics and marketing technology consultancy and SaaS platform. In addition, Dan also finds time to be a 500 startup mentor and has previously started the first business accelerator in Orlando. In 2015, Dan was selected to be a United States ambassador for entrepreneurship by the United States Department of State, where he had the privilege to advise the government, universities, and private corporations on how to build entrepreneur ecosystems. He even flew out to Mexico to be an entrepreneur ambassador for Tijuana and Mexicali. Dan lives in Orlando, Florida, with his wife, three sons, and two French bulldogs. He is a keen runner, and a self-made millionaire who grew up in the ghetto, fought his way out, and is very grateful for the hardships he had in life as it taught him the persistence and grit required to succeed today. Dan go. what a pleasure to have you here. Hi! Hey, how are you today? 
I'm fine, I'm great, it's a lovely day here today, although very, very hot. And yourself? Oh, I'm doing amazing. It's pretty hot here too, so I think we're already headed to the 90s, and we just started. It's 10 a.m. Wow. So, so it sounds hot, and um, I just shared with our listeners what you've done until now. And I would like you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today, and where are you heading? Yeah, really, really good question. You know, I think what I'm most passionate about today, of course, is uh, marketing technology and marketing analytics, which is really like a big area that I spend a lot of my time. I love building marketing technology and sales technology stacks um, with our clients and with a lot of different people. Um, that being said, I mean, kind of the future of where I'm headed is really focusing on the full tech stack for a business. So how do uh, companies get all of their tech organized? How do they get their architecture set up correctly? And how do they get their integrations done correctly? Um, that's really where uh, I'm super, super passionate and where I'm headed. Where would you say we are today? What do you find among the companies that you work with? You know, I, in regards to like the marketing technology and like their stacks, right? In regards to that, I think we're in a big turning point right now where um, the new modern technology stack, which is leveraging more advanced analytics, leveraging more advanced customer data platforms. Um, I think we're really at a kind of a tipping point of leaving the traditional stack behind, which is when I say traditional stack, we're talking companies were just using Google Analytics and maybe Salesforce and maybe a Marketo. Um, they really didn't have robust analytics or robust customer tracking. But now with new technologies out there, the customer data platforms, more behavior analytics, um, you're seeing a, a totally different uh, view of businesses and how they manage their technology. What kind of businesses are you working with? Yeah, good question. Uh, it's definitely all across the board in regards to clients that we work with, mainly mid to large companies. I mean, we have a few startups that we work with from time to time, uh, but usually companies that are doing at least $10 million in revenue. Um, and we have companies that we work with that do hundreds of millions of dollars in yeah. revenue a year. So it's really a wide swath. I mean, at the end of the day, when we think about working with a client um, at Magal.io, it's really the first question we ask is, is this going to be fun to work on? Um, and then second, is it something we can be successful at solving? And if it kind of meets those two criteria, we're usually pretty game to work on it. So, I mean, we have B2B, we have B2C, we have direct to consumer. Um, we really do have a wide portfolio of types of clients we support. You talked about the problem you solve. What is the problem? What companies are facing while coming to you? Yeah, I mean, there's typically two primary problems. Um, the first problem is probably the most common, which is they lack the ability to see the customer journey. So in the modern day of marketing, right, these customers are across many, many different channels. And even when they're on your own website, you their data gets spread across many, many different tools. So it can make it so that having a single view of the customer, being able to understand the journey that that customer went through, all of the different touch points is really, really hard to track. Um, so that's a, a big problem that we get brought in to solve is what is our customer journey? How do we get better measurement? How do we understand what the customer is doing? And that's a measurement problem uh, we see through and through. And on the flip side of that, um, the next problem that we see a lot is people want to be able to convert customers through their customer journey at a faster rate. And they want to be able to do it with automation. They want to be able to do it with personalization. They want to be able to do it um, at scale. Um, and that, in a lot of cases, is us making sure that the technology stack is well integrated so that way data can flow around freely um, and then enabling their tools to leverage the first party or zero party data that they have 
Um, so they can do that automation or personalization. And the goal is to grow the businesses. So um, those are the two primary problems. Don't get me wrong. We solve marketing attribution issues. We solve funnel tracking issues. We fall, uh, solve all kinds of stuff. So but those are the two main ones. You know, one of the sentences we hear a lot is that uh, technology is excellent, but a lot of times you are losing the personal touch, really the connection with people. What do you have to say to that? I agree with that 100%. I mean, I think technology has gotten so smart that we sometimes overuse it. We over-automate the human element out of it. And I think that that has to be very consciously kind of decided on. Um, I'm a big believer in like, listen, we're all humans. We've got to figure out how to keep that human element to it. We've got to keep that human touch to it. Let's not over-automate um, and get rid of the human altogether. Let's make sure that there's good touch points when we can still have that uh, relationship get formed. Because I think people want to be spoken to like humans. They don't want to be spoken to just by a robot. You're right, of course. And I was, um, I was told that you actually worked with 500 companies. Is that correct? Well, I mean, in my career, I've, I've worked with ma many, many more than that. But I think... Um, Wow. 500 startups, which is a uh, large VC fund, uh, might be what you're talking about. 500 startups is a really famous VC fund out of uh, San Francisco, uh, and they have offices all around the world. But I'm, I'm one of the mentors and advisors to their companies, and they've invested in well over 500 startups at this point. Wow. It sounds interesting, and you know that we are talking to entrepreneurs. And uh, how did you... Um... How did you actually found this accelerator? What is this? What is unique about this accelerator that you were part of founding? Well, with the um, business accelerator with 500 Startup, right, the VC firm, if you're talking about that one, I mean, I got connected yes, I with the, the – Okay. The, um, I, when I was the head of marketing at a company called Kissmetrics, uh, we were one of the pioneers in the analytics space. Um, 500 Startups was just one of the many VCs that was around. Um, one of my buddies was already an advisor at 500 Startups, my buddy Nemo. Um, and then Nemo said, hey, listen, like they're always looking for more mentors. Maybe this is something that you'd be interested in. Uh, and then I just started working with them. And I've traveled to Mexico. I've traveled to Canada um, to, to, and, uh, of course, all over the United States to help advise their companies and help them kind of get pushed forward. You are an entrepreneur yourself, and I would like to ask you, what would be your best advice to any entrepreneur that's listening to us right now? Focus on generating revenue, right? I think a lot of startups and a lot of founders get distracted by trying to raise uh, funding and getting a VC to give them money. Um, I'm a big believer in, like, let's, let's, do, let's <laughs> drive revenue. Uh, and I'm also a big fan of like, listen, we need to do sales. Uh, it's you have to talk to customers, you have to talk to prospects, you've got to get out there and you've got to better sell your product uh, to generate revenue. That's the fastest way to grow your company. Uh, I'm a big believer in uh, bootstrapping. And I think that too much emphasis in the startup phase now is like, oh, I've got to go raise this money. And it's like nine times out of 10, you don't really need to raise any money. I do agree with you. I've been saying this for years and 14 years working with startups. And coming from marketing myself, I found out that um, a lot of times entrepreneurs are just skipping this stage of going to the market or trying to go to the market only after they're raising the money. And sometimes it's much easier to uh, sell and to uh, get your customers and not only to uh, raise money. 
100% agree. I totally agree. I mean, both of my companies now are both bootstrapped. Um, and my last company, which was funded, honestly, my investors were uh, as much of the reason why we went out of business as they were why we were able to build all the things that we did. So investors are not always going to help you. So and even when I was at Kissmetrics, you know, some of the advice we were being given by our board um, is part of the reason why the company struggled. I hope you enjoyed the episode of today. Next week, we're going to have a new episode with a new guest. And until then, bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.